Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is good to see you here. I uh, hope you had a great week, great weekend. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF. And uh, on behalf of our church family to you, we want to say welcome. Glad you're here. Um, before we go on, um, I, I do want to just take a quick moment to honor some, some, some guests that we have in the house uh, today. Um, we've got uh, the, the OG pastoral couple of ACF. I mean, this is back like, when was this? This was maybe... Previous century, that, that's enough said. Uh, Pete and Alan Canizero served as the pastoral couple here uh, years ago uh, on campus, and uh, they are dear friends of mine and Nicole's, and so I want to say uh, a big welcome to Pete and Alan here today. Thank you guys for being here. And um, Alex is somewhere, his brother-in-law is somewhere, maybe he had to cut out, yeah. Um, he was an elder here as well, and now he's, he's uh, uh, pastoring a church in Montana, right? Yeah. Very cool. Well, glad you're here. Um, if, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, we'll have some folks coming around with these hardback Bibles, and uh, they can get one to you. If you don't own a Bible, consider this our gift to you. You can take this home with you. We want everyone to own a Bible, but more than that, we want you to be in the Word, reading your Word. And so uh, we'll also put the text up here on the screen in just a few moments. But today, uh, we're c- uh, continuing and carrying our study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Last week, uh, if you weren't here because of Thon Weekend and all that wonderful uh, happenings, we spent some time talking about judging others and, and how uh, we are to fight off this judgmental uh, spirit Uh, by living as actually restorative people, that we are actually called not to be judgmental people, obvious, but rather we are called to be a restorative people. And so we spent some time looking at that. If you missed that message, you can catch that on our website or listen to it on our podcast and be all caught up. But today, we come to a portion of the Sermon on the Mount that I am particularly excited to preach on because I think it's a commonly misunderstood passage as we read through today's passage, uh, you, may, you may have interpreted this passage in a particular way that may not have been very helpful for your spiritual journey. In fact, when, I, when it comes to this passage, I have a both love-hate relationship with this passage. I, I love what this passage says, and it's equally incredibly frustrating to me all at the same time. And if you're like me in that way, I hope by unpacking the words of Jesus here today you'll walk away with a better understanding of what Jesus is actually saying here and walk away with greater greater clarity uh, with the words of Christ. And so meet me at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 7, and we're going to carry it all the way through to verse 11. And so Matthew 7, hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking. This is what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? ACF, today I want to address three common misunderstandings when it comes to this particular passage. 
Folks, a large part of reading and understanding scripture is seeing the heart and the intent behind the author or the speaker. And in this case, Jesus. Jesus is speaking these words. And in order to see the heart of Jesus behind the words of Jesus, we need to understand the context of Jesus. In other words, it's never a great starting point to read scripture through our current present day lens. Now, listen, there are times when we're going to have to utilize that lens when it comes to applying scripture to our lives, which is, a, which is what we ought to do with scripture. We'll have to bring scripture into our current present day reality, no doubt about that. But we can't start there. When we come to scripture, that's not a, a helpful place to start from. We've got to look through a different contextual lens. You see, here's what I think we tend to do with a passage like this, with this particular passage. We read the wonderful promises of Jesus that seem like sure promises. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. I mean, that's, that's promise language there. It will. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Not it might, not just maybe, not hopefully, it will. You will. It will. Those seem like pretty clear promises to me. Now, in case they're not clear enough, Jesus reiterates this in the very next verse. He says in verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds unto the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, for most of us, our tendency is to interpret these promises of God through a cause and effect filter. Through a cause and effect filter. Ask, cause, and you will, there's the promise, you'll receive, there's the effect. Same thing, seek, he goes through the three different kind of rhythms of the seek, and you will, there's the promise, and the effect is you will find. Knock, and it will, the door will be opened. Now, I don't know about you, but, but this is where my mind goes when I think about this cause and effect dynamic with these promises of ask, seek, knock. I can't help but begin to see God as sort of my personal cosmic vending machine. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I can't help but to see God. If I've got a need in my life, there's a number for that. All you need to do is put in a dollar, punch an A7, and out comes God's favor. If you need a miracle in your life, somewhere in your life, there's a number for that. You can find miracles in B12. You just you got to put in a dollar, that's all you punch in B12, and out comes a miracle. If you need a blessing, of God in your life, if you need provision, if you need direction, if you need clarity, whatever you need, there is a number for that. All you have to do is punch in that number and out comes God's favor. And if not a vending machine, a genie in a bottle works just as well. We might imagine a, a, a big giant blue Will Smith looking kind of thing coming out of a, a genie lamp, right? Coming out and saying to you, what can I do for you? You saw the new Aladdin trailer, you know what I'm talking about. Highly anticipated film. I can't wait. Saw the original one. Now listen, if Jesus, it, we, we, when we see this and we say God is like my ass, seek, knock, cause, effect, there's the promise, you will, it will, it will, all these things, and we begin to interpret it as God, okay, so God is my vending machine or God is my genie in a bottle, we're doing a huge disservice to ourselves. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. Listen, I think it'd be great if God were a vending machine. 
I'm not going to lie. I mean, it'd be great if God was like a genie in a bottle. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here or be blasphemous. If all I had to do was punch in a number and out comes an answered prayer, how easy would that be? How great would that be? Can someone say amen, right? Like, amen. Like, I wish God was accessible by A7, B12, like if all I had to do, if, all, if, if, if God were to appear to me like a genie in a lamp and says, your wish is my command, it's like music to my ears. Like, yes, God, that, that's the kind of God I want in my corner. But that's not the image Jesus uses here. He doesn't say God is like your personal vending machine. He doesn't say God is your personal genie in a bottle. He says God is a good father who gives good things to his children who ask him. Now, here's the significance of this. When we look at this passage through our current present-day lens, we tend to focus almost exclusively on our needs, our wants, our desires, which is what makes these promises so glorious in the first place. Right? Like That's why we respond with, a, with ask, seek, knock, with a little bit of excitement, Mixed with a little bit of disbelief, like you're like, seriously, all I have to do is ask, seek, knock of God, and God will give me whatever I ask for? Which, by the way, is a source of many of our frustrations in our prayer lives. Because we read, we read promises like this, and we put it into practice, and we don't always get what we ask for. And so in turn, we're like, what gives? It's like you hit A7 on that vending machine, but B12 comes out. You ever have that happen to you? Like you wanted the Snickers bar, you, but you get three musketeers instead. I mean, who likes three musketeers anyway? Like, right? Like, that's just, wow, a bunch of you. Okay, sorry. I didn't know that. Uh, I'm a Snickers guy. Three musketeers does nothing for me, right? Or worse yet, the item you punched in for, how many of you ever had this, but it gets stuck. Right, like you see the metal wire turning, you're like, oh, glorious day coming my way, and, and then it gets stuck in between the wire and the glass, and you're just about to lose your salvation over that. Right, like how frustrating is that? You see, I think that's how many of us feel about our prayer lives. We ask, we seek, we knock, but we get a different kind of response than we anticipated. Or we say, Jesus, I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking, but I don't feel like I'm getting anything from you. And here's the first misunderstanding we have to wrestle with with this passage. You see, the point of Jesus' message here was never about what we get. Rather, he's addressing who God is. This is huge. This is huge. This is fundamental. This is foundational to understanding this passage. This passage is not ultimately about what we get. It's not about what God gives to us. And look, it is easy to get lost in that because there's a lot of language here, a lot of talk about God giving things to us here in this passage, but the giving is simply a means to an end. The end is seeing God for who he is. I mean, listen to what he says here. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, which, by the way, this is just a, just a, a metaphor, an analogy that he's drawing here. If, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? You see, oftentimes when we read those two verses, our eyes zero in on the bread and the stone and the fish and the serpent. And we say, surely, God won't give me a stone instead of bread. God won't give me a serpent instead of fish. 
And while that is true, we've got to take it a step further if we want to get to what Jesus is getting at. We've got to ask ourselves, but why? Why wouldn't God give me a stone instead of bread? Why wouldn't God give me a serpent instead of a fish? The answer is, it's because of who God is. It has nothing to do with you punching in a number. It has nothing to do with how you're asking or what you're asking for. It has everything to do with who God is. And Jesus drives this very point home in the very next verse. In verse 11, he says, if you then, who are evil, which by the way, he's talking, this is like character reference. This is like identity reference. He points to all the earthly fathers on that hillside, and he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Come on, think about this. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen, church, Jesus isn't so much emphasizing the gifts here as much as he is emphasizing the nature of the gift giver. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good things to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is perfect in love, by the way, who is perfect in compassion, who is perfect in love and mercy and grace, how much more will that Father give good things to us as his kids? Now, you see, you've got to remember, most people during this time had a certain view of God that entailed a, a distant, holy, and maybe some of us have this view of God today. In fact, we're going to address some of these topics this coming midweek. Right, our views of God and how foundational that is to our own personal spiritual growth. But maybe, maybe for some of us, but, but, but folks, particularly in this time, had a view of God that was distant, far off. He was so far off that he was even untouchable. He was unapproachable. He's so holy that he's so out there. And Jesus, he comes to show us what God is actually like. He comes to show us what, how, the, the, the kind of nature our Father is. And so Jesus here comes and he says, this is who your heavenly father is. He is a loving, compassionate father who knows what you need before you even ask him. Remember a few passages ago when Jesus says pray in secret? Don't be like those hypocrites who pray out loud out in public squares. For your father already knows what you need even before you ask him. That's the kind of father we have. It's the kind of father who cares for our our every single need, the big and the small stuff, who cares for our every need beyond your wildest imaginations. He knows it all, and this is a father who loves giving good things to his children who ask him. It's who he is. See, this passage is not about, the focus of this passage is not about what we get. Rather, it's about who God is. Is. That's the first misunderstanding we've got to clear up. The second misunderstanding pertains to this exhortation of ask, seek, knock. Now, Jesus' point here is this. In light of who God is, if, if the God you know is indeed this loving, compassionate Father who knows all your needs, who is able to meet all your needs, who gives good things to those who ask him, who loves his children so much that he'll do anything for them, you should have all the confidence and all the faith in the world that when you ask, God's going to give. That when you seek him, you'll find God. That when you knock, God will open the door. Now, with that said, let me offer up two points of clarification here as it pertains to ask, seek, knock. This is kind of a two-for-one deal. Number one, when it comes to asking, seeking, and knocking, it is imperative 
it is absolutely imperative that what we're asking for are the right things. That what we're seeking after are the right things. That the, the doors that we're knocking on are the right doors. Folks, it could be that the thing you're asking for will actually never come to pass because you're asking for the wrong thing. I'll tell you right now, God will never answer prayers that is not in line with his desire for your life. He won't. He's too good. He's too good to answer prayers that won't help you, benefit you, and give you life. That's the kind of father we have. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in the last chapter in the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come and your will, let your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. And so, folks, i got to ask you this morning, are you asking are you seeking? Are you knocking for the right things? Now, Dan, how, I don't know. How do, how do I know if I'm asking for the right things? How do I know if I'm seeking for the right things? Jesus says in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, you don't need to turn there. We have a text reference here on the screen for you. John chapter 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. This sounds a lot like asking you receive, seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open, right? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That, so that, for the reasons of that, the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Church, does what you're asking for, seeking after, and knocking for make much of Jesus? Does it make much of Jesus? If God were to answer your prayers that you're asking, seeking, and knocking for, would God be glorified? Not like, eh, maybe, you know, like I think, I, I could see it, I could kind of see it, you know. No, I'm, not, I'm talking about like undeniably, like who gets the glory if God were to answer this prayer? If the answer is, no, I'm not sure that God would get the glory, you're probably asking for the wrong things. John 15, the, next, the very next chapter, Jesus goes on and he says, if you abide in me, this is the great, uh, the, the vine and the branches passage. This is one of my favorite passages of all the Bible, John chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's this promise again, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Is your asking, seeking, and knocking coming from a place of having been with Jesus? Are your asks and seeking and, and, and all the knocking that you're doing, is it coming out of a place of abiding in Christ? David says something very similar in the Psalms. In Psalm 37, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, abide in Christ. Dwell in his presence. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and ask and you receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Delight yourself in the Lord. Abide in Christ, and whatever you ask, God will do for you. You see, this giving isn't so much, you got to understand, this giving isn't so much a, a blank check given to anyone who just asks. When Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, it is implicit that there are right things to ask for and wrong things to ask for. In fact, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Ask and you receive, right? But in the very next verse, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to suit your earthly passions. You ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly. And so you, are you asking, seeking, and knocking for the right things? The other point of clarification I want to make is this. There is an ongoing nature of asking, seeking, and knocking 
in this passage. In other words, this is not a once and done thing. The, the verb that Jesus uses here is an active present tense verb, which might better read, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. It, don't, don't, it, and here's where I think for most of us, this is where our faith either gets shaken or strengthened. This is where our faith either gets shaken to its core or strengthened from its roots. Some of us ask once, and when we don't feel like God is coming through, we give up. We seek once, and when we don't feel like what we're looking for is being found, we move on and we look elsewhere. We knock on the door once, and if we don't hear an answer, we say, well, no one must be home. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop knocking. You see, church, we need to develop a more resilient faith that says, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep knocking because I believe on the other side of my ask, seek, knock, there is a loving Father who is able to meet my every single need. Because of who God is, I'm going to keep asking. Because of who God is, I'm going to keep seeking and keep knocking. That's the kind of ongoing asking, seeking, and knocking that Jesus is talking about here. And so we need to make sure we're asking, seeking, and knocking for the right things. We need, to develop, we need to develop the kind of faith, the resilient faith that would keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking for the things that are on God's heart. I want to clarify this one last misunderstanding that tends to cause some confusion for a lot of us. I want to address these good things that Jesus refers to at the end of this passage. Good things. Jesus says in verse 11, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now listen, as you might imagine, good things is entirely relative. It's entirely relative. What's a good thing for you might not be a good thing for me and vice versa. You might say eating a salad is a good thing, Dan. I might say to you eating a cheeseburger is a good thing, right? Like what, what is a good thing for you might differ from what I think is good for me. But not only that, a good thing can change from time to time, from season to season in your life. For instance, there was a point in my life where I would have told you running is not a good thing. It is not, I, I don't like what it does to my body. I don't like what it does to my soul. I don't like, it hurts. I don't like how it makes me feel. And it's just not a whole lot of fun. And then I turned 30. And then my doctor said, Dan, buddy, you got to take care of your body now. You can't, you're not in your 20s anymore. You, you got to you take care of yourself. And I thought I'd give running another shot. And guess what? I fell in love with it. I fell absolutely in love with it. All of a sudden, what was a bad thing in one season of my life became a good thing for me in a different season of my life. Good things is all relative. And so how are we qualifying what a good thing is here? What, is, what does Jesus mean? What, how are we defining good things? Now listen, while I think that's a good question, I think there's actually a better question to ask. Remember, we've got to dig a little bit deeper into the text. While that's a good question, I think there's a better question to ask. I think the better question and more important question is this. Do I trust my heavenly father enough to let him define what good things are? See, when the rubber meets the road, friends, and when your faith gets rattled and shaken in the asking, seeking, and knocking on this side of heaven, when we're waiting for the promises... You need to be able to settle yourself on this question. 
Do I trust my heavenly father enough to let him define? Nah, I'm, not, I'm not defining what good things are for me. I'm going to let him define what good things are. You see, I don't think it's up to us to define what good things are. In fact, when we try to qualify what good things are, we will naturally run it through the grid of what makes us feel good. We will categorize good things as things that make us feel good. You see, it's in our nature to reject anything that doesn't make us feel good. And anything that does make us feel good, we say that, well, that must be a good thing that Jesus was talking about that comes from the Father. Because God wouldn't give me a stone instead of bread or a serpent instead of fish, right? And so anything that doesn't make me feel good, I should reject as not a good thing from God. The problem is, God does a lot of things in our lives that don't necessarily bring with it good feelings. Friends, don't confuse good things with good feelings. Jesus did not say, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good feelings to those who ask him, good vibes to those who ask him, good juju, like, right, like, good, you know, I don't even know if I'm using that the right way, but like, good, good, good but you know, good feelings, Right? How, how, how much more will your father give? See, you got to understand this. If you study the full counsel of God's word and, and different parts of scripture, you'll know that Jesus, God, often does things in our lives that don't bring with it good feelings. John 15 tells us that God prunes us. You know what that means? That means that God, part of what he does in our lives and in our discipleship process is he strips us and tears away anything that's not helpful for our development into the likeness of Christ. There's a lot there. There's a lot. If you are honest with yourself, if I were honest with you, there's a lot that God has done in my 30-somewhat years of tearing stuff away and stripping me of, of things that has not been helpful for my life. That's not always a comfortable, pain-free process. I hope you know that. James tells us, count it all joy. This is the brother of Jesus, right? After he sees his brother Jesus being crucified and buried, he says, consider it joy. Count it all joy. In other words, consider it a good thing when you meet trials of various kinds. When you face hardships in your life, consider that a good thing. Because God has a way of using the trials and the hardships of our lives to build us up in ways that good feelings cannot. You see, there are plenty of things that God does that we might not identify as good things based on how it makes us feel. But the real question, the real question we've got to wrestle with is do I trust God enough to let him define what good things are? You see... I said earlier that I, I, I had a, I've had a love-hate relationship with this passage. See, I, I used to love this passage because it seemed like a, like a fail-safe promise, right? Like that God would show up at my every beck and call, that he would answer all my prayers. There's, there's no footnote, there's no like caveat that he gives us. Like he's like, it's, it's like ask and you receive, that's it. Seek and you'll find, right? And then I would become incredibly frustrated when God would not show up in the exact ways that I thought he would. When, when I felt like I needed him to come through in these particular ways and he didn't show up, I would become incredibly frustrated. I would even begin to question the validity of Jesus' words here in Matthew 7. Jesus, were you for real? Are you a liar? 
Because the promises seem sure. But I'm not experiencing it now. I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. But, but nothing but radio silence. What gives? But as I study this passage more and more, the Holy Spirit started to reveal some things. And I hope he does for you this morning. I realized that Jesus' main concern wasn't to say, hey, how good is your father that if, if you ask him for anything, listen, I, I'm willing to do anything for my kids. But, but listen, they, they, if they keep asking for something that is not beneficial and helpful to them, I'm gonna, I'm, I, am, I love them too much to let them lean into those things. In fact, there was just one quick story as I wrap up. There was one time where my kids were just, they were incessantly asking. We were in New York City, and uh, we, were, um, uh, we were at uh, Dylan's Candy Bar. And uh, in fact, I might have told this story before. And one of my kids, I, in fact, I forget who it, who it was. It was so traumatic, I, I blocked it out. Um, my, my kids, they kept asking for, for candy. Like, they got that big, like, jumbo, you know, gummy bear container. I don't know if you've ever been to Dylan's Candy Bar. Like, you could get as much candy. It's like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Like, you just stuff it with as much candy as you want. And, and my kids, they just, they were like, can I have another piece? Can I, have another? I said, son, you're going to get a bellyache. You're not going to feel good. I'm going to say no. But dad, come on, come on, come on. please, please. I said, all right, fine, fine. You, you want, have it. They were stuck. The car ride from New York City back to our place, they were just chomping gummy bear, you know, chocolates, you know, Sour Patch Kids and all this stuff. And we went to bed that night. And I, I, we were at my parents' house. And so I was sharing the bed with, with my son. And he's like, oh. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. And he rolls over and he pukes. And I swear to you, it smelled like a candy factory in there. It was the most glorious smelling puke in the world. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, right? That, I mean, that, that, and so, so I say, I, I hope you learned your lesson. hope you learned your lesson. I, Jake's rolling his eyes, so it must have been Jake. It was Jake, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, he, now, now he's like, okay, now I know not to eat candy. Now I know that when my dad says no, it's actually a good thing. When my, da- when my dad refuses this, this, the liberty of this, it's actually a good thing. And I can trust my dad because I trust that he's got my best interest at heart. See, Jesus' concern was never about what we get. Rather, he was trying to shine a spotlight on who God is. Look how good God is. Look how wonderful he is. Which, by the way, when you see God for who truly is, who he truly is, what you get from him becomes largely inconsequential. Because if you know the nature of your heavenly father, you'll know that whatever he gives you, it'll be a good thing because he's the one giving it. What you get from him becomes secondary in light of who he is. And because of that, we can keep asking, we can keep seeking and keep knocking and having faith that we've got a good father who is able to meet our every need in every way.